Good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have an attorney on the show coming in all the way from Atlanta, Georgia. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And we're back. I want to welcome Stephen Lefkoff to the show. Stephen, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Ken. Thanks. Hope you had a nice uh, Labor Day weekend. I labored all weekend. <laughs> I, mean, we all, I, mean, I think that's the that's the point now at this point. I mean, how do you own a business and take Labor Day off? I don't. I don't know, man. I, but um, yeah, so so Stephen, you and I chatted for a few minutes before the show. You're an attorney down in the Atlanta, Georgia area. That's right. Yes, sir. I am the uh, owner of Lefkoff Law, and uh, it's a general practice firm here in Atlanta, which is my hometown. And um, and I just started a, a new business, which I'm sure we'll get into in just a little bit. But thank you for having yeah. me on. Yeah, I appreciate you being here, man. So, and and a shout out to Justin Breen for the ten thousandth connection he's made. <laughs> that guy's a beast, man. So, so, um, so you let's start. I mean, this show I created this show about two and a half years ago. Um, I've interviewed somewhere around three hundred folks so far, and um. You know, I really think that we've helped a lot of people get unstuck. And I, I, I think that's a problem, especially right now with people being stuck. Um, so let, let's kind of start out with where you were born and raised. Sure, Ken. So I was born in Savannah, Georgia, um, and I lived there for a grand total of about nine months. Um, so I don't remember um, it. I don't remember it at all. Uh, my parents moved. <laughs> To Atlanta from Savannah. My dad is um, my dad's family is historically from Atlanta, so there's a lot of family here. My mom's family is from Columbus, Georgia, so we are a Georgia family for sure. Um, and I have been in Atlanta pretty much my whole life since then. I, I went to college at the University of Illinois in Champaign Urbana. Um, got out of state. It was freezing cold, and so I was yeah. excited to come back to Atlanta where I went to law school at the University of Georgia and I have been here ever since. Wow. So, so you didn't like the snow? Oh my gosh. Can I tell you, let me tell you a quick story. So yeah. like fresh, freshman year of college, right? Keep in mind, I'm coming from Atlanta where it's really hard to even find a winter jacket. Like they just don't, you got to go to the ski stores to get right. winter jackets if you live here. Um, and, and if it snows, we cancel school in Atlanta, like any, you get a half inch. And I don't know if that, there's a big controversy now, now that schools are going virtual, there's real controversy of whether or not we're going to have snow days anymore. So yeah. I kind of, I feel for my kids if we don't, but yeah, right. Uh, I was, uh, in my freshman year of college and it was October and I am, um, get, I, I get, I have a nine o'clock economics class. And I'm up, I'm showered, I'm dressed. I'm like awake, right? I am ready to rock and roll. I've had breakfast. I go down the steps. I walk outside and I almost get blown over by the coldest, like Midwestern wind I have ever. We don't have that here. Like, we, don't have, no. we have hills, so we don't really have a lot of wind. And we're yeah. south, so we don't have a lot of cold. And so the right. combo of that, it hit me so hard. I, I, I mean, true story. I turned around, went back upstairs and went back to sleep. I just missed the class. I was like, I'm not, I'm not walking to class in this. It was, it was painful. Like economics is not that important. Right. I'll catch up. I can miss one class, you know, I'll catch up. Right. So that's a, that's that is, that, that happened. It was so that's, cool. That's, that's an average January day in Ohio. So, cool. so you, you, and you know, what's interesting. I told you, I used to live in Atlanta 30 years ago and the la the year I was there, was the year of the 100 year blizzard so it was oh, like yeah. 19, 1999 i think oh there was one later yeah 
or not yeah yeah it was like and it was like they called it a blizzard it was like eight inches of snow <laughs> and, and i owned a detail shop so i had all these car dealers cars and and i remember i had a um i forget it was like a a Bronco or something. And I'm just like, I'm like, all right, cool. I got a four wheel drive. I'll just head home. There was nobody. I mean, even the cops, I could have robbed a bank and I wouldn't have gotten caught. There's no way. Like yeah. there was nobody out. Yeah. I mean, do you guys have in Ohio, like we, the big thing here is if snow is predicted, there's a run to the grocery store to get bread and milk. And I don't know, like, do you, is that, is that nationally a thing or is that just yeah. here? Because it, it makes no, no sense to me. I'm like, what, what are you going to, you going to make a milk sandwich? Like, why is I that know. that you need? I don't get it, man. I don't get it. I guess it's the essentials. <laughs> That's not an essential in my life, but I, I, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't get it. But yeah, so, so, so you grew up in Atlanta um, now were your parents in, in law practice as well, or? Yeah. So my dad is, um, my dad started, he, he also went to the university of Georgia school of law. We actually had the same torts professor, which was kind of nuts. Um, wow. that he, that we had the same professor 25 years apart, but, um, wow. That's but crazy. yeah, my dad went to university of Georgia and my mom met him there while he was in law school. She's a landscape architect by, uh, by trade. So she is wow. not. So, so you, you probably didn't have, I'm just going to go out on a limb. You probably didn't have a lot of financial challenges that you saw as a, as a kid. You know, it's funny you say that, that, that would be kind of when people think of lawyers and this is something that, that is real topical for me. And I don't even know if that's the right word. I'm, I'm a lawyer that should know the right <laughs> words, but I don't, I don't know if that's the right word, but with this gavel program that we'll talk about, the common perception is that if you're a lawyer, you're driving a fancy car, you're living in right. a big house, you just by virtue of going to law school and graduating and saying you are, you know, passing the bar and calling yourself a lawyer, that yeah. you're all of a sudden on some higher economic plane than everybody else. And it's, right. it's always true. I mean, certainly it is true for some. I was thinking more about the the your mom being in landscape architect. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We had some nice trees around our house for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but my dad, I'll, I'll, so my dad started his firm when I was seven years old. Um, he left the practice where he was and started a creditor's bankruptcy firm where he's representing the banks and and the finance institutions in bankruptcy cases. And I remember for the first year or two, I mean, we were eating on folded chairs. And we were not going out to dinner and not going out to meals and not doing those kinds of things that we all take for granted or a lot of people take for granted now because he was just like any entrepreneur starting a new business, didn't know where the first or next payment was going to come from. Um, and he tells a story all the time that he had one client that his one big client, I guess, um, was in Kansas, I think Kansas City. And he was about eight months into his practice and he reached out to those folks and said, I'd like to fly out and take you to dinner because I want to meet you. I want to actually like face to face. It's harder. You know, this was pre-internet. So you didn't have StreamYard or Zoom chats or any of that stuff. So to, to get right. to know your clients, you had to actually visit them. And uh, he was hoping that there would be maybe two or three people that wanted to go to dinner because budget was tight. He didn't, he, he thought it was the right thing to do, but didn't know you know, what he was getting into. It turns out there were about 20 folks that wanted to go. Oh. And he brought them all. And he says to this day, he was, that was his like introduction to owning a business. He was shaking, nervous of how, how are we going to pay for one, one meal? I mean, forget the flight and the hotel and all that. The meal itself was probably four figures. I don't know how much it was total, but you know, when you're starting a new business and you don't have a whole lot of resources, you got to really trust that this is the right decision. It's terrifying, man. I've been there. Oh, I've been there where you hand your debit card to somebody and pray to God they don't come back and say it was declined. Right. <laughs> that's right. I, well, I mean, that's that's part of the deal, man. I mean, it's it's just, you know, and it's what I don't care what anybody says, it's what builds character in owning a business. It's it's those yeah. moments of terror. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he says it to this day that it lit a fire under his, you know what? Yeah. To you be can able say to ass. Things. Okay. His I'm ass. assuming he meant ass. <laughs> I did. So, 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 so you, okay. So you grew up, you didn't grow up privileged. And, and you know, what's interesting back uh, a long time ago, I heard that Columbus, Ohio had more attorneys per capita than any city in the United States. So I've met a lot of broke ass attorneys. I know a lot, like really broke, like, dude, you spent how much on law school and you make what? Like, you know, it's gotta be something that you're really, really passionate about at some point. You got to find a passion in there. And, and so as you, as you went through what, what, so what, what was it that made you go? I I think I'm going to go to law school and be an attorney. Like, was it your dad? It's funny, you know, we, um, I'm going to sound privileged for a second, but, but I really wasn't. I was, I had always not wanted to do that. Um, I, I would go intern at my dad's law firm. It, the bankruptcy stuff that he does is very form generated. It's, um, it's very kind of monotonous. It's, it's routine and goes over and over. And I just got bored with it and thought, this is what being a lawyer is like. I don't want to do that. And then I was uh, I was studying abroad. Here's where I said I'm going to sound privileged. I was studying abroad in London, in England, and trying to find. Yeah, here we go. Uh, <laughs> I was waiting for it. I was trying to find some actually some free things to do um, because England. I mean, the the pound at the time, it, I mean, everything was expensive. It just was. Yeah. And one of the guidebooks I had said that you could go watch their court system and watch a trial, which you can do here for free too, but people don't really want to go to like the nasty courthouses here in Atlanta to just go hang out. But there the house is like a gajillion years old, right? It's like 800 year old building. It's, it's historic. They all wear wigs and they do all this. There's a lot of pageantry. So I said, okay, I'll go watch that. And I went one day and I had to stand in line to get in because there are so many people that want to go watch this stuff. And it was just a normal day. It wasn't like some crazy, you know, news story murder trial or anything nuts. It was just a normal, normal day in court. And um, I went in and watched it and just loved it. I was like, this is so cool. Like the history and the just like I said, the pageantry, which little did I know doesn't exist here. But at the time, I thought it was so cool. And I was like, you know, what? maybe I'll explore law school and see if this, you know, cause there's a lot of things. Another thing that like everyone thinks a couple things about lawyers, one that they're super well off, right? It's a very common misconception. Wealthy. Well, rich, rich. Yeah. All exactly. Lawyers are rich. exactly. They're on they're, they're living on their yachts when they're not living in their mansions. Yeah, and right. people think is that every lawyer is like a TV show lawyer, right? That every, right. everyone is, is in court all the time making objections and, you know, catching yeah. somebody red-handed and doing all this stuff. But there are- it I mean, doesn't fit, it mu- you must acquit. There it is. That's right, Ken. And, 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 and a lot of them are, but the vast majority of lawyers don't do that. And there's, uh, there's just so many different things you can do with a law degree that open up to other- Now, I happen to be one of those lawyers that does go to court. But I thought as I was doing that research and looking into, okay, if I go to law school, what options do I have? How can I, how can this expand, you know, my potential and how can I grow through this process? I learned that there's a lot more than, than what my dad does or than what you see on TV. So, so were you in high school when you were studying abroad? (laughs) No, I was in college. Oh, okay. You're like, I'm going to sound privileged for a minute. (laughs) I mean, look, and there's nothing wrong with, with growing up privileged in in any way. So I, you know, you had, you had, um, you had insight because there was a time in my life when I thought about becoming an attorney because I was so good at arguing. I think, I don't know. Um, I think that, that everybody that, that argues a lot and wins is like, maybe I should be an attorney. So, so, um, so you were in college, you hadn't decided that you were going to be a lawyer yet. No, it was my junior year of college. And And you still hadn't decided your junior year. Nope. Wow. What nope. were you studying? What I was, was your undergrad? My undergrad degree was in finance. 
Um, and, you know, a lot of lawyers come out of English majors or pol political science, those kind of areas. Not as many come out of business. Yeah. And I actually had no idea what I was going to do. And they say, if you have no idea what you're going to do, a lot of people go to law school because they don't know what they're going to do. I say that's a terrible idea um, because law school is not fun. At least the schooling part of it's not fun. But um, but that's really what happened. I, I, I in my junior year, I really didn't know what I was going to do. And then I went to that courtroom in London and I said, this is really cool. That is pretty cool. And so is it like that? No. In real life? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. I, I mean, uh, it, it's, it's, I, I have a life full of misconceptions. Um, I, I actually, I, I went to the University of Illinois because I was deciding between there and Texas is what it came down to. UT. And right, exactly. Of course, you're going to choose to go to Champaign, Illinois in the middle of cornfields instead of Austin, Texas, right? So okay, no. I, my, my dad and I go to visit Illinois. And it's raining. It's like 55 degrees. It's just gross out. My dad goes and sleeps. And I'll talk about more about my dad than anybody else here. But but he falls asleep in the student union on a chair. And he says, Stephen, we got to head to the airport in two hours. Go explore. He was done. He's like, there's no way I'm ever coming back to this place. Right. And so I go, I, I, I say, okay, well, I'm going to go walk around. I'm, a, I'm on a college campus. I'm a high school junior. I don't know. Or maybe it was follow my senior year of high school. Yeah. So I'm going to walk around. So let me find the football stadium. So I go walk to the football stadium in, in the rain. I see a big sign that says football offices and a door. And I go, well, what, what do I have to lose? Right. I'm going to explore. So I open the door. I walk in there. There is nobody in there, like literally no one. And, and so I take a few steps and I'm like kind of doing this thing. Am I allowed to be in here? But, but I keep going and I see these steps. I don't know what I was thinking really. I mean, it was like trespass, but I walk down these steps. I'm on this like rubber rubber flooring that I had never really seen before. And then I take a couple more steps and this enormous man in shoulder pads and a jersey walks by me and he goes, what are you doing here? And I said, I just wanted to see the stadium. And I'm like, I'm like four foot nothing, intimidated as I'll get out. He says, well, you can go out to see practice if you just go out that door. And I'm going... Uh, okay. Okay. So I walk out this door and I am standing on the field of a Memorial stadium, watching the football team practice in the rain with the lights on in the big stadium. And I'm like in heaven and I go, okay, I'm going to college here. This is too cool. Little did I know in my four years there, they would win eight games. So, you know, I had no idea that they were just that bad at the time. And that the reason I probably got on there with no security was because nobody wants to go watch their football practices. But, you know, that could have never flown at Georgia or, or at Texas. They never would have let me walk right onto the field at any of these big stadiums. Well, but that, did you try? Are you? <laughs> did, did you try? Good, good point. No, I did not. <laughs> I did not. Oh, my God. Okay, well, that's, um, that's a good reason to go go to a college, I guess. I don't know. I mean, you couldn't get away with it today, probably, but maybe, who knows? And, uh, you know, maybe they'd be like, finally, we have a good luck charm that's arrived. <laughs> so, so, so you, you go to college in, in quite possibly the worst place in America. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the worst pick of the entire freaking. So, so you go to college, you go and, and you get out of college with your undergrad and, and you had made the decision. I'm going to law school. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I had and your dad and mom did come back to, to, to at least see you graduate. I would assume. Yes, they did. They came back a few times. <laughs> and I don't it's probably not that. that bad in the spring. It's beautiful. <laughs> Right. You know, it's funny. Yeah. You know this. You live in Ohio. It's like yeah. once, once the temperature hits 40 degrees, everyone's in shorts and flip flops and T-shirts. Like yeah. here we're in fur coats at 40 degrees. There they're like, summer's here. Summer's here. <laughs> it's insane. I told my wife not long ago, I'm like, why do we live here? <laughs> like, seriously, why? Anyway, so so you go, you end up going back to Georgia you go to the, is that in Athens University yes, of Georgia? Yep. 
So you go to um, you go to Athens, you go to to law school, and and um, you get out, you get your degree, you pass the bar eventually. Did you pass the first time? Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Thankfully, not everybody does. So, <clears throat> so I, in fact, I heard it's a pretty small percentage that passed the first time. I don't know though, but so you you end up in. Um, in 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 law school you get through it all and you get out of law school and instantly you're wealthy and and life is good yep the rest is history thanks for having me on the pod on the show here right. <laughs> dude it's been great thank you i appreciate it wow why did we just freeze whoa froze I up there for a second that was weird um <laughs> so, so so talk about what happened after that Sure. So I, um, I got the good fortune of, of meeting, just networking with people. And I met an attorney here in Atlanta who was actually a Florida grad. So we had some, some rivalry football interests between my, I had now become a Georgia fan because Illinois just, yeah. they didn't have much to root for. Yeah, um, right. so, so he had graduated from the university of Florida in the mid nineties from their law school and had been a solo practitioner, meaning on his own, he didn't have any other attorneys working with him. Um, and he had a law school buddy or, or a co I'm sorry, a college buddy who also was a solo practitioner here in Atlanta. And they decided in 2010 to join together and create a firm. And I was their first hire at the time in 2010. And he was the, the attorney I was working under was kind of a generalist, I guess you'd call it. Some people call it a door lawyer. If they walk in the door, we'll take it. Um, and it depends on, you know, a, a handful of factors, but we were doing all kinds of things from estates to criminal, civil, litigation, contract drafting, review, corporate governance, uh, regulations, compliance. I mean, a lot of very different things. And wow. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was a lot. Divorce and ambulance chasing fall in there anywhere? Didn't do any ambulance chasing, no injury work, um, but did do some divorce work, some family law Um I mean, pretty much everything else didn't do bankruptcy either. So no bankruptcy and no um, injury, but almost right. everything else. And my my background, you know, coming from the finance degree that I got in undergrad and just watching my dad grow his law firm, I had more of a civil business kind of bent than yeah. the than the criminal stuff and certainly than the family law. The family law is very emotional um, and I just don't have that really in me. I'm, I'm a kind of an objective attorney. I don't get really caught up in a lot of that. Um, and, uh, and so I sort of just by virtue of being there started to really focus my work on that civil side, on representing businesses for the most part. And, and the attorney I was working with, it's funny that you were talking about your business here in Georgia because he had a relationship with the Georgia Independent Auto Dealer Association, GIADA, which is the biggest independent auto dealer association in the country actually is the one here in Georgia. Yeah. So I, I have just, a couple of friends that are members of that. Actually. There you go. There you go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm a, member, I'm a member and I, I sort of just started developing and fostering that relationship with those, with the members of that organization and with the, the head honchos over there at GIADA. And so I just started doing a lot of work for car dealers. Wow. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so that, that became sort of my focus there at the firm. And then, um, as I was trying to grow there and become the super wealthy lawyer that everyone thinks lawyers are, um, I had a point where I had to make a decision. Do I stay there and grow kind of under their tutelage? This was ab after seven years. Or do I leave that firm and start my own practice and start my own business where I really get to call the shots for everything. Yeah. And so that's what I did. Um, that, that decision, I made the decision about a year before I actually did it um, because I'm a planner and, yeah. um, and I guess the rest is sort of history. I, I started my firm in 2017 doing a lot of work with the GIADA clients and um, a, a lot of stuff that just got referred to me. I've never, I've never been much of an advertiser. Um, I've been a relationship person. 
<clears throat> so, so you've only had your own firm for three years then? Three years. Yes, sir. That's wow. right. That's right. Ha okay. So, and I, I mean, I know attorneys, attorneys make decent money, especially if you're in a, in a, in a fairly good sized firm, you, you know, you can, you can make some money. Um, I'm sure you weren't rolling pennies to put gas in your car when you made the decision to leave the firm you were with. <clears throat> and what was, what, what did you go through emotionally when you went, okay, you know what? I'm out of here. And was there any contention uh, w among the, 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 the guys, gals you were, and were you a, an employee or of counsel with that firm? So great question. So I was an employee. Um, I was okay. an attorney. And for me, uh, well, they, they, there's something in the industry known as the golden handcuffs. And I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase. I'm sure it applies to a lot of other industries, but the bigger firms, which I was not in, so it didn't really apply to me, but the bigger right. firms pay so well that you, you essentially get handcuffed to the opportunity yep. that, that the thought yep. of leaving is so daunting and starting your own or, or going somewhere else, you would be, you know, so far behind the eight ball from where you are today that you're stuck there. And it's a very commonly known and understood thing in the legal industry, especially with the bigger firms. They know that and the people working there know that. And so it becomes very difficult to just say, look, this doesn't work for me and to up and leave because at that point, most likely you've gotten used to a lifestyle that's based on that salary and those benefits that are provided to you. I was not in that kind of position and most small and medium firms, certainly small firm lawyers are not in that position. They just don't have the clout of the King and Spaldings or the Troutman Sanders or the big firms yeah. here in Atlanta. But you're uh, still making, you, you still had to be in six figures. I mean, I was doing okay. I, I was, I was doing all right. Um, how much were you making, dude? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I was right there. I, I was right there at yeah. six years. And, 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 and so that's nothing to like be ashamed of. Like if you're making a hundred grand a year, you're, you're doing okay. Uh, but like, so uh, with that in mind, you make the decision to go hang your own shingle and, and, and like, which is insane, right? Like that's crazy. Yeah, I was freaking out. And one of one yeah. of the reasons I was freaking out was because I, out of respect for the attorneys that I had now basically, I mean, we were friends. I had been yeah. there for seven years. I was their first hire. I really respected the guys there. And so out of respect for them, I didn't tell anybody that I was going to do this. I didn't, I, I wasn't one of these attorneys that called up all my clients and was like, hey, in two weeks, I'm announcing I'm leaving my firm. Will you come with me? Right. I didn't base I didn't base my decision on whether or not I would have clients coming with me. I knew that whether I did or not, this was the right decision for me right now and my family and moving forward in the future. And I was willing to risk potentially nobody, right? Having nobody come with me and yeah. then wonder, you know, shit, what am I going to, you know, what am I going to do if yeah. nobody comes with me? But but I kind of thought. I don't know if it was ego uh, or confidence or what it was, but I, I really, my personality is my priority. And I, when I try, I try really hard to, um, to create bonds with people. And so my clients, I know a lot about my client. I mean, I saw the other day in a Facebook group of lawyers that I'm in, somebody posted, are you Facebook friends with your clients? Right. That was one of the big questions of thirty five hundred lawyers in this group. Somebody asked that question. I yeah. am. I didn't even think twice about it. I'm like, you know what? If my clients can't see what I put on Facebook, then I shouldn't be putting it on Facebook. Right. right. So, so I'm like, I, I try and vice versa. I hope that my clients feel that same connection with me, because one thing about being a lawyer is, first off, we're not cheap. I mean, let's just be honest. It's not it's not a cheap profession. If you're hiring right. a lawyer, you're not paying nothing. And it's, it's not necessary in all cases, right? It's not like a doctor where you break your leg, you got to go, right? right? You have a heart attack, God forbid, and you got to go to the doctor. 
when you're deciding whether or not to hire a lawyer, it's not only cost, but it's necessity that comes into play there. Do I really need it? Especially when the economy is struggling or when there, you know, when there are other issues at play. And so right. I, it's not like you, you can go into the courtroom and represent yourself. You can't go into the operating room and do your own brain surgery. So. Exactly. And we'll talk about that because that's yeah. it's really relevant. That example is very relevant, but yeah, that's exactly right. And so I have to rely on the service that I provide my clients. And that goes not only with, did he get the work done and did he do a good job, but do I like working with him? Right. right? That's really, in my mind, that's kind of the most important question. I try and take a step back and go, do I think that client enjoys working with me? Because if they do, then they're going to send me more work. They're right. going to give me more calls. They're going to want to you know, have lunch when we can have lunch. They're going to want to refer people to me and consider me their lawyer, right? That, that has a lot of, um, of important connotation to me to be called someone's lawyer. Yeah. Right. So, so you, you left the practice, you, you're making, um, yeah, this is a JR, Put this is an, I think that's Abraham Lincoln that said that, isn't it? That's right. <laughs> he who represents himself in a court. What's a H S has a fool. Has a fool oh, has, has a, oh, has a fool's. True. Yeah. So, um, so you left there, you started your own practice things. Uh, did you, did you take clients with you? Did you, and, and how does that work? Isn't there some sort of a non-compete or something that. So get this, I think it's because lawyers write the rules on the laws. Um, there are at least in Georgia, non-competes for lawyers are not enforceable. So you can't have one. Um, wow. so, so no, there's no, there's no non-compete. I did not solicit any clients. I, I, I didn't even get into the ethics rules of if that's allowed or not. Cause I just said, yeah. you know what? I'm not doing that. I'm just not going to. And, um, and, and I was fortunate enough. I sent an email. Um, I sent an email out to basically everybody just notifying them that this was happening. And then I let the yeah. call come to me. I, I didn't, I didn't do any asking, no cold calling, none of that. Um, it, it was, it was a whirlwind. I mean, it was a couple of weeks where it was just wild. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what was, you know, what call I was going to get or not get. But fortunately, um, enough came that I was able to build from there. And it didn't take much to start. That that's the other piece. I didn't have the golden handcuffs. Um, I, I, you know, fortunately for me maybe not, maybe not fortunately in the bank account, but fortunately mentally, I didn't have to immediately find 15 clients tomorrow or I'm not gonna be able to pay my mortgage. I, I had right. kind of lived on a smaller budget for a long time in prep for gotcha. that. So uh, along the way, by was there like, let's see, how long, ha how long did you work at that firm? Seven years. <clears throat> did you, did you, get married, have kids, anything like that along the way? Oh yeah. So I got married in 2009 while I was in law school, actually. Oh wow. I got married and um, we had two kids while I was working there. My son in 2013 and my daughter in 2015. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that, that was part of the other thing too, was, you know, when you, when you're trying to think about good times to leave a job with a salary and start one without a salary, yeah. Um, I kind of thought to myself, the, it's only, I'm only going to need more money as time goes on. Right. Yeah. Like if I don't do it now, if I wait a few more years, I'm going to need a lot more to pay for a lot more things as my kids get older and they have activities and schooling and other expenses that when they were toddlers, we didn't really have. And so I was kind of thinking now it's kind of a now or, or maybe not never, but now or a long time from now, if I'm yeah. going to do Wow. So, so you start your own, own firm with two small children. Um, how's it been going? Great. Great. I mean, I, it's, it's a, one of the biggest challenges is figuring out what you want to do. And that's, that's cross, you know, that goes across a lot of different industries, but it's very, very, common in law because it's easy when you open a firm, you're like, I got to make money. 
So I'll do whatever, whoever calls me, I'm doing what they want me to do because I got to make, I got to get that check, right? I got to get that payment. Um, That's taken me some time to really kind of meander through that path and, and establish myself enough to where I can now say, you know, I don't do that kind of work. Let me refer you out to this person or to that person. I, I just, it's not something that I can do the best job for you with that kind of work. And that's part of our ethical duties. And, and personally, a duty of mine is I don't want to half-ass your work, right? I don't right. want to I can do something when I know down the street, there's somebody who can do it 10 times faster, 10 times better. And, you know, maybe it's a couple bucks more. I don't know. Maybe it's a couple bucks less, but you're really going to get the, the quality of service from that person with that particular thing that I don't do, right? That's not in my wheel. Yeah. So I started, one of the things um, I started doing that I really love and is um, coaching clients in small claims cases. And that started back at the old firm because I had for a couple of these car dealers, they have small claims cases all the time where they sell yeah. a five or $6,000 car and the, uh, and the customer has an issue with the car two months later and files a lawsuit to get their down payment back. And these folks would call me and we'd have a conversation about the case. And I'd be like, look, you, it doesn't make sense for you to pay me to go because yeah. even if you win, you lose, right? And in, in the net, you're losing. And if you lose, right. you really lose. If you lose and you've paid me to be there. So let's figure out a better way to do this. And so I started coaching them to represent themselves at the law at my old law firm. But that was really, it, it, it was not generating the revenue there that a that an established law firm with many employees and things relies on. And right. so of part of what I did when I left and started my own practice was I said, there's a hole in the market here for people that need to know how to win their case, but can't afford to pay a lawyer, or it doesn't make financial sense, even if they can't afford it, to actually learn how to win their case. So I said, one of the things I'm going to do at Lefkoff Law at my firm is I'm going to create a program where that I can fill that gap, what we call the access to justice gap. Um, and that would be something where you have somebody or a business here in Georgia, a business can represent itself in small claims court. So it doesn't need a lawyer. It's the only court where a business can represent itself as small claims. And they can get kind of armed with the knowledge, confidence, and information that they need to then go pursue their case or defend it if they're being sued on their own without having to pay an arm and a leg for an attorney to be there. So, and so go ahead, Ken. Well, what what defines small claims? Sure. So, so in every state, it's different. Here in Georgia, it's it's fifteen thousand dollars up to okay. fifteen thousand dollars. So it's a pretty wide assortment of. You have a lot of like, my employer didn't pay me. Um, I loaned somebody money; they didn't pay me back. Bad car repair job. You know, construction defects and construction issues. I mean, it runs the gamut. So you're, but you're, you're primarily representing the, the business owner. Yes. When I'm doing those cases. Yeah, that's correct. I'm primarily okay. in the business. I got you. So there it's maybe you're, you're, you're the, they're being sued and you're, you're defending them. That's exactly right. Okay. In 90% of the cases. So you're not, you're not suing on behalf of the the business owners there's a handful okay um, say handful in the last three years of my firm probably four or five gotcha. where the business has been the plaintiff suing to collect yeah. um but for the most part it's defense work awesome so um so talk about what you um what you started so you, you started doing this coaching to help business owners not have to fork out thousands of dollars in attorney fees, um, but go to small claims court and defend themselves and win. Yeah, exactly. And they can send the, the owners can send a full-time employee here in Georgia. So if you're for a lot of businesses, you're a small business, you're already paying employees to be at work, right? There's a thought that, okay, so why would I also pay a lawyer when I have to send the employee as a witness anyway, 
why not just send the employee alone? Right. Wow. And so then you get into, okay, well, how? They don't know how to do that. And so I started one-on-one -on -one coaching these people, my clients, but then it became difficult with scheduling and with uh, retention of information, right? How do I go through all of it in a way that it's affordable and that they can really get it all? And so I yeah. started putting together handouts, but then I learned people don't like to read. Um, it takes too much time. <laughs> and they're just not interested. They just, it just doesn't matter. Words on paper is, is right. you know, worthless to a lot of people. Yeah. So <clears throat> a month ago, I launched uh, a program called Gavel. And Gavel is a first of its kind legal coaching course. It's an online course with almost five hours of video content that ranges from why we have the small claims court on one end all the way through appeal if you lose and collection if you win on the other end and everything in between. And the user can watch it as many times as they want. They can, they can rewind lessons, watch them all over again. They're all, every lesson is animated. Um, so it's engaging. It's fun to watch. It's my voice in the background, which may not be as engaging. But the uh, but the point is that for an affordable price, a person or a business owner, a business owner can say, hey, employee, go watch this while you're on the clock, uh, can teach. I can teach you the rules, the procedures, the information that you need so that you don't look foolish in court, frankly, and so that you have the confidence to move forward, bring the right evidence, the right witnesses, make the right argument, how understand how the process and the procedures work to have that confidence. Because we lawyers, we go through three years of law school and um, three years of law school and then on job training. And most of us still never walk into a courtroom. And even those that do most don't ever walk into a small claims courtroom because it doesn't pay enough to warrant them doing that work. So, I mean, I'll tell wow. you, Ken, personally for me, the first time I went into a small claims trial, I was like scared out of my mind. I know what I was doing. I learned in law school how to do all this stuff. And so then we go and ask people to show up by themselves with no training and no education. I mean, I can only imagine how difficult my, it is for a lot of people. My wife's saying 15 years ago, she wanted judgment and I didn't know about that. Who? I'll I'll collect it. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my buddy Smith and my other buddy Wesson. So so uh, I'm just kidding. That's a joke, by the way. I don't 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 send any hate mail. So um so yeah yeah that sounds like a course that a lot of people could use. Here's my buddy Weldon in Virginia Beach. He owns a car dealership. And he, I'm sure, knows lots of people in Georgia. I, I know, I have two friends that are that are um, that I can think of right now that are in the Georgia Independent Car Dealers Association. Or, is that what it's called? Georgia, Georgia Auto Dealer Association. You want to know oh, a crazy yeah. fact? I'll just throw this out there because why not? I was um, I was in a case a couple years ago and um, Mannheim, which is the big auto auction. They're international. Yeah, they're huge. I had to try and get a copy of a title from them. They weren't a party to the lawsuit. I just had to get a copy of a title. And I called their in-house counsel. They were in Indiana at the time. And I, you know, introduced myself. And they said, uh, the counsel, the the attorney said, what is it with you guys in Georgia? And I said, well, what are you talking about? Like, it was such a weird thing to say. I said, what are you talking about? He said, do you know that Georgia is the biggest market for us in the country? I said, what do you mean in the country? He said, it's bigger than California. It's bigger than Texas. It's bigger than the entire Northeast. The state of Georgia is a bigger used car market for Mannheim auctions than anywhere else in the entire country. It wow. I mean, it's part of it, I think, is Savannah is the port sending vehicles out to Europe and Africa. Uh, uh, and part of it is just because Atlanta, you, you kind of have to have a car to get around. It's a very big city and the transit but yeah, it's a huge city and transit's not so great. So there's a lot of that too. Um, Marta. It blew my mind, man. It, I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Wow. So, so, so talk a little bit more about, first off is I, I should have asked you this up front, um, but Hey, we're here. So what, what's the website for your um, course? Sure. It's www.gavel.legal. 
Oh, I like it, dude. Gavel, G-A-V-E-L, right? You got it. Yep. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I got to do better marketing if I need to spell that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. G-A-V-O-L. So gavel.legal. And, and this is a course that any, anyone can, can join. Yeah, it's, it's right now it's Georgia based, right? Some of the, the reason this is so unique and doesn't exist is because it's not low hanging fruit. I go through literally five hours of Georgia specific procedure and information. It doesn't necessarily, some of it will translate to Tennessee or Iowa or Idaho or New York, but a lot of it is specific to Georgia. And so there are services out there that'll help you fill out the complaint anywhere in the country for a fee, um, doc gen type things, but they don't walk you through the process and procedures because they don't know them, right? You, you, you've actually, I've been in the courtrooms. I've seen this stuff happen. I've seen how it works and I've seen people lose cases that they should win. And that's really where this all stems from and how it all started. Wow. Was there a particular situation or a client, obviously without disclosing their name, but was there a situation that, that made you go, I, I gotta, I gotta change the world here. <laughs> I'm hoping to, uh, yeah, well, so yeah, this was about five or so years ago. I was in a small claims court and, um, watching a case before me and the way they do these the judge, you're not the only case on the count, what they call the calendar. They'll have 50 cases, let's say, and they yeah. put them in line. And the judge will call the first case up. And then when they're done, they call the next one. Right. And the case in the corner, there was a plaintiff that was um, trying to get back to loan money that they loaned to the defendant. It was like six or $7,000. And um, the plaintiff had sued the defendant to try and get that 6,500, we'll say, back. And there was a particular issue that came up in the court case about a document and who drafted it and whether that person was there because it was hearsay if the person wasn't there. And the plaintiff didn't know that. Plaintiff didn't bring that person to court, didn't subpoena that witness and lost. And had that witness been there, the plaintiff would have walked away with a judgment for 6,500 bucks like no problem. And there were some other issues. There was some emotional testimony and the plaintiff wasn't listening to the judge. There were a lot of no-nos that the plaintiff did that mm -hmm. I sat there and I'm going, this is not right. This is not how it should be. We can't, you know, the county or the state provides the forum. They provide the court, but you got to bring your own basketball. And if you don't show up with your own ball, you're going to lose every time. So but, but, but people don't know that. They don't know what size ball to bring, what color the ball needs to be. You know, this is my analogy. That's not a very good one, but I hope it gets the point across that, yeah. that I was sitting there watching somebody and I knew, you know, if that person just had a little bit of help, it's not a lot, it doesn't take much, but a little bit of help, they would have walked out of there with a $6,500 judgment. Instead, they walked out of there most likely never getting back the $6,500 that the plaintiff loaned to the defendant. Shouldn't should never get it back. You know, here's 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 a question. So ironically, the reason I moved to Atlanta was I was a regional manager for the largest collection agency in the nation. And my job was not to collect. We had people that did that. Um, my job was to go out and talk to small business owners and say, hey. What's your accounts receivables? What's your write-offs? We can help you. It's a, it was a prepaid service. Um, so X amount of dollars per account, whatever. And then we went through all of the, the letters and, and phone calls and all of that. But one of the things that, that drove me crazy about that industry was um, we could end up, we could get a, a default judgment and, and, that and 50 cents would get you a cup of coffee because a lot of these people were, were well, 50 cents back then, <laughs> not now, <laughs> but, but you know, that, you know, uh, it, they were almost uncollectible in a lot of, a lot of cases, a lot of cases. 
what about the people that like, you know, I loan that guy five grand or whatever. And, 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 and they feel like it's just not collectible. Like my wife's saying she got a judgment 15 years ago. I wonder what the statute is on that. Um, but you know, she got a judgment 15 years ago and, and never could collect on it. How do you help in that case? So there's a whole part of the program on collections. So that's number one, right? Where I walk through putting a lien on a vehicle, how to get vehicle information. Um, I, I, uh, uh, liens on homes and property collection, like post-judgment discovery, where you're trying to find out where people bank so you can do garnishments. So that's a part of the puzzle. But what you're saying is very common. I mean, there's a handful of reasons why these cases fail when they shouldn't. One is because the person suing or the business, the plaintiff doesn't know what they're doing and loses in court, right? That's one scenario yeah. where we just talked yeah. about. But another is where they just don't even pursue the case because mm. they think either I don't know what I'm doing, I'm intimidated, it's not enough money, or like you said, I'm never going to get it back, right? I'm never going to get yeah. it. And so they just let it go. And there's thousands of dollars on the line that people just say, this is too difficult. Well, it's not that difficult. And you have to swing to get a hit, right? There's another yeah. sports analogy. I guess I'm full of those today. But you got to swing to get a hit. And if you don't swing, you're never going to get a hit. So to right. give folks the confidence and the knowledge to at least go up there and take a hack at the ball, right? At least go swing. It's not, the small claims process is not terribly complicated. It's built so that people can do it themselves. They just don't know how. And so if you give folks the knowledge and you arm them with the information, then they can go up there, swing away and get at least give a chance of getting a hit. So once you get that hit, you know, if you win in court, even a default judgment, then the, I have a, I've split this up into three courses and they're all sold individually or bundled. One's pre-trial, one's trial, and one's post-trial. Okay. So if, if there's a, a customer out there, a client or, or, or a student, let's say, that has gone through the process but just doesn't know how to collect, then they can just buy the post-trial bundle. Right. And the point, the reason that I did that is to try and make it as affordable as possible so that if folks are like, look, I don't need the whole thing. I know where I am. I know how to get there. I just need this little, little help here. Then they can just get that little help there. And so for folks, like you said, in your, in that position where they've got a default judgment or they're even, they think they're going to get a default judgment or they are considering not even filing a lawsuit because they just don't even want to try to get the judgment and then have to go, okay, how do I collect? There's a whole section of the program for those people. And I know I'm like advertising right now, but it's true. I mean, it's, it's very, helpful. it's very helpful. Well, I think, you know, again, there, there, there are uh, most attorneys you can call and at least five or 10 minute conversation with them at no charge. Um, you know, there are some attorneys that will not pick up the phone until they've swiped your credit card. <laughs> right. Um, but for the people, there's Justin Breen just joined us. Hey, Justin. So, so, you know, for the people that, that are, they, they don't know what to do. They, they're maybe they're afraid to even call an attorney. There's also this huge um, level of arrogance with a lot of attorneys too. <laughs> like, you know, you call them and they they just don't have time for you. This sounds like a solution for all of those. How much is your course, by the way? Sure. So it's <clears throat> for the the individual courses, the pre-trial and trial, which each have over 30 lessons and about two, two to two and a half hours of content, those are each 189. And wow. the, the post-trial is 129. Um, it has a little bit less, there are less lessons, it's less time, yeah. um, but it's just as helpful. The bundle is 399 for all three together. You get the whole kit and caboodle and you can watch them over and over. I mean, we're talking, you know this, Ken, that's less than one hour of time for a lot of attorneys, right? You're, you're yeah. paying less than one hour with an attorney. You're getting five hours of content that you can watch as many times as you want, take as many notes as you want and really be prepared. I mean, that was, like you said, it's hard to get an attorney on the phone 
And it's certainly hard to get them on the phone without paying. Um, but then you got to pay. And so that was part of the struggle I was having with a lot of folks to do this um, was how do I spend that kind of time on the phone with you or Zoom or in person and have it not cost $1,000, $1,500, $2,000, right? I mean, five hours with an attorney would cost you, I mean, it depends on the attorney, but that could cost you two $2,000 easy. Yeah. And I'm basically selling that for 400 bucks to watch over and over and over again. So that's uh, that's the way the program's set up. And, and even less if you go, you know, piecemeal. So this is, you're only doing this in Georgia right now. Uh-oh. Steven? Are you still there? I think you froze. We lost Steven. Come back. Well, can you hear me now? There, there, there. You're back. You're back. Hey, all right. I don't know what happened. <laughs> that was crazy. You were like, I'm just trying to keep you on my on your toes. Yeah. So, so you're only doing this in Georgia. Uh, for now, for now. That this these this is the court system I know. Um, this is the one that I've been in. These are the rules that I know. We are quickly trying to pivot to other states. There's actually a section on the website where folks can put in the state that they can request a state and put in their email address. And I'm trying to crowdsource really where to go next. I have, um, I have some thoughts in my mind, certainly neighboring states to Georgia makes sense for me. But if, if there's a lot of demand in say, you know, Kansas, then we'll look at that and try and find partnering attorneys there because it's, it's a, um, like I think I said before, or I know I said to you earlier, this is not low-hanging fruit. There are services out there that'll, you know, document generation services, or if you want to file a lawsuit, you just, you pay them, which is moronic. It's insane to me that this exists, but they take your name and your address and they just punch it in the document. Um, but that's not what this is. This is a teaching course that some of the lessons will translate over to other states. I mean, some, some court procedures are court procedures everywhere but others yeah. won't. And I, I just don't know which ones will and which ones won't. So I caution anybody in other states from taking the plunge and relying on gavel right now Yeah. in their case. Weldon wants to know if you have a vendor agreement with the Georgia. I'm, I'm a member of GIADA. And so we do, we, we, I communicate with them a lot. I used to go to their office pre COVID once a month to just answer questions for dealers. Wow. And this is for small claims court. That's right. That's right. And, and I've learned actually in the last month, a lot of it also translates to the bigger courts here in Georgia. I mean, the rules are the rules, but yeah. it, it, when you get into here, at least here, when you get into state and superior court, the judges expect a lot more formality than they do in magistrate court. So when you're magistrate small claims here, so when you're in small claims, it's more informal and right. even if, you know, even if you take the course and you kind of mess up one thing or two things, it's not going to be the end of the world. If you do that in state court or superior in a bigger case, you, you could very well lose. Um, wow. So it's a little harder to coach people through those courts. So, so let me, let me go off of this for just a second and back to kind of the theme of this, this, this whole thing, the, 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 my show, um, because this is this is about and and look, I, I think that your course definitely could help people get unstuck that that are stuck in the the maybe the fear of not knowing how to handle it, the the or just the plain old ignorance of not knowing what to do. Like, right. So but in you know, you're also a, a business owner. You've started a business from scratch. You left a, a I don't want to say cushy job, but you left a you left a firm where you were you were doing okay, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. And 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 you you went out on your own with no guaranteed paycheck. And so, what do you think the the biggest thing is? And I always ask this question just about every time. Um, 
What do you think the, the number one thing is that holds people back in life from success and happiness and, and, and having that ability to just go for it? Fear. No doubt. There's no doubt in my mind. I mean, I, you've probably heard that answer a million times. I don't know, but the, like I had with this program, I had been thinking about how to do this for four years. This is not, I am not the kind of entrepreneur that an idea comes into my mind and in a month it's a reality. That's, that's not uh, how I operate. Now there are a lot that are, they come up with an idea. They come up with a minimum viable product. You've probably heard MVP a ton of times. Yeah. And in one month to six weeks, their idea is on a store shelf or it's online or whatever it is. I'm a thinker and a planner. And what happens with me in particular is that I outthink myself. And I think that's very common amongst people with ideas that, right. you know, start to think, especially lawyers, where we're in a business of no's. There's a lot of lawyers that are still using word perfect because they don't want to change to Microsoft Word. They don't, you know, we're, we're kind of archaic as an industry. Um, yeah. But generally speaking, even non-lawyers, you come up with an idea, you think, wow, this could really work. And then think about it some more and go, oh man, that's going to be really tough. How am I going to do that? Who do I need to contact? How much money is it going to cost? Where do I even start? Right? Like where right. do I start is a hell of a question that's hard to answer. Right? And you might ask 10 people, where do I start? And they might have 20 opinions. So it's that... And, and then you just get, you know, you bottle up, right? Or at least I, I shouldn't say you, I'm talking about myself, really. Um, bottle up, get nervous, fear. The same reason people don't go to small claims court. They don't know where to start, right? It's the same kind of thing. Yeah. Starting a business, at least when I am, and when I'm trying to do this is, boy, what, what do I even, I know the idea is good, but I mean, I'm scared shitless, man. I don't even know what to do. I don't even know how to start this thing. And so then, then it just sits up here and goes nowhere. Yeah. So fear. I think so. I mean, I've had mentors in the past. The, the reason Gavel, let's say this, the reason Gavel exists is because three months ago, I had a mentor of mine, Joey Vitale, who's a great guy, said to me. Joe Vitale? Joey Vitale. Like the hockey player. I think they're cousins or something. Oh, there's Joe Vitale that was in the movie The Secret, too. Like oh, yeah, he's really famous. <laughs> like he's really, really, really famous. Like, yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. okay. Different one. Definitely different guy. Um, but okay. Joe said to me, he's like, Why doesn't this exist yet? I'm like, come on, how long is it gonna take you to put this together? What are you doing? It's COVID. You got nothing else to do. Courts are closed. Right. Yeah. And I'm going kind of a good point, right? Like, what, what, yeah. what, what do I even do? Who do I pay? He goes, don't pay anybody. You do this yourself. You figure it out yeah. yourself, right? Do it. You've got yeah. the idea in your mind, make it happen. And so I started Googling for like, in my case, online course hosting programs. And Joey had yeah. a suggestion for that one to use this company called Kajabi. Um, and so then I, once- That's what my course is on. Kajabi. Is that right? So, so you know that. And so- I once love you Kajabi. Once you start getting the ball rolling, yeah. you go, okay, you know, and then I start writing down, okay, what do I need to do to yeah. get this from here to there, right? To yeah. on the computer screen, what are, what are the steps? And those, just like when I made my course, my first thought I had maybe 10 lessons written down and 10 turned into 73 in, in a matter of a week as I realized what did I not know and what had yeah. I not thought about? Same thing with this, right? Once I, once he said, get off your ass and go do it. What are you doing? You know, what, what good is this if it's in your head? Then I started to write down the 10 things I needed to do. And those 10 things turned into 20 things and 30 things. But if you make a list and you go, you know, I'm going to start with number one today. Yeah. And then when number one's done, I'm going to go on to number two. Why? Because why the hell not? Right. right? Do it. Right. And so that, that's really what happened. Um, that's but I was awesome, scared, man. I was scared, Ken. <clears throat> that's awesome. So, so, I think everybody that, that, well, in Georgia and my buddy Weldon, who I told you is in Virginia, he said, he'll put you in contact with their executive director. He served, he used to be president of the Virginia independent auto dealers association. So 
Um, Weldon is a connected guy in Virginia. Thank so Thank yeah. You. And, and he also has a place in Florida. So um, yeah, you guys should connect for sure. And, and, you know, look, I, that you never know what's going to come of one of these shows, man. I think that, um, that, I, I love seeing people, good people get connected and, and you seem like good people. Thanks, man. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on and <clears throat> hanging out with us and sharing your story and, and your love of snow. And uh, <laughs> Right. My love of sleeping when it's snowing. How about that? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, dude, I appreciate you, Stephen. Thank you for coming on the show and hang on for me. I'm going to end the live stream, but everybody, where's the best place to follow you on social media, by the way? Um, it's Gavel SCA, like Gavel Small Claims Academy on Instagram okay. and on Twitter. Um, I'm also at S Lefkoff, um, first initial, last name on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, Stephen Lefkoff. Awesome, man. Steven, hang tight for me. Thank you for being on today. You're, you, you're, you're awesome, man. <laughs> I appreciate it. I thank you for your time, man, and the platform. I appreciate that very much. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you guys later. Thanks so much to everyone who shared this out. And if you didn't share this out. Do it. <laughs> do it. You can do it. Thank you, guys. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day.